Hi there everyone, A Squared here again. I know it's been a while, I'm going to blame COVID because it's the best excuse for anything. Why haven't you done the grass, COVID? Why haven't you done the shopping, COVID? So that's my reason for having not done an episode in so long. So today we have a religious deep dive going into the bowels of um, Islamic groups and sects as myself and my special guest talk about our journeys from mildly interested Sunni Muslims to basically pseudo-Moroccans. That might sound a bit strange and I apologise that there's a lot of religious um, terminology used here, a lot of Arabic, um, but it was a fascinating discussion of how you can start at the same place, go in the opposite directions and still end up in the same place. I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, listeners. So today I have a special guest with me, um, a close friend of mine, a fellow student of a, of a teacher, Islamic teacher of ours, who, spoiler alert, I may well be getting on to a further episode soon. Keep tuned for that. Um, Muhammad Umar. Muhammad, how are you today? Alhamdulillah. Nice to see you. Um, so the reason I wanted you on was I was inspired. I was inspired by an episode of Peaky Blinders, of all things, which obviously we're both Brummies. But, of course. Um, For sure. Yeah, but the, uh, the quote was, uh, I don't know if anybody here follows Peaky Blinders, but uh, there is a, a line where Tommy Shelby, the main character, says that he's realised that politics is a circle. And that wherever you start out from, if you go right enough, and if you go left enough, you end up in the same place. Yeah? And this was his uh, rationale for how he was, a, from being a socialist, he'd become a supporter of fascism, or something of that sort. And this made me think that myself and Muhammad, we are both, uh, uh, we are both people who believe in the uh, Maliki Madhab, so for People, I, I apologize for listeners who aren't used to all the religious speak, uh, but we're going to be talking about one of the schools of Islamic law known as the Maliki Madhab. Now, this uh, school of law is uh, based around the holy city of Medina. Um, it is more predominant, though, in North Africa and West Africa, as opposed to the Indian subcontinent where we both originate from. So, obviously, we've both made a bit of a journey to get here. However, it seems to me that whilst I went all the way right and then ended up in the middle, Umar went all the way left and ended up in the middle. So, we both started at the same place, we ended at the same place, but we've gone the exact opposite route. That's well put, well put. I'd agree with that. Yeah, excellent. So, um... I'll just start on myself for a little bit, and then, uh, Muhammad, you can tell me about what your uh, 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 journey was. So, for me, 
I started off, uh, I came from an Indian subcontinent background. We were default uh, Sunni Muslims. The majority of those over there uh, belong to the Hanafi school and within that, the subsect of the, the Barelvi school. So for the people who know their Islamic uh, sects, you know exactly what I'm referring to. If you don't, let me just say that it's the vast majority of Muslims of the Indian subcontinent. That's India, Pakistan and Bangladesh. I would say... Maybe not as much of a majority as it used to be, but definitely the majority um, uh, of, uh, of Muslims. And so I um, um, uh, obviously, you know, I grew up in this country. My parents, they, they had that background. My parents were very, they were what I'd call uh, religious with a small R in yes. that they, they just did it. There was no real... A song and dance about oh look at me I'm so religious oh of look course, at yeah, just like my parents it was like they wore it on the sleeve that I am religious they just got on with it they yeah prayed, they just, uh, they... I came Ramadan yeah um as time went on my father started getting more and more interested in religion I think after the death of my grandfather you know as often happens so he started reading a bit more and learning a bit more so the, so while I was a teenager in my house. There was, you know, discussion about Islam, as it were, you know. Now, the mosque that my dad used to go to in Warsaw uh, was a UK Islamic mission, which, again, for people who know their uh, Islamic sects, was a, is a, you could say it's founded on the same principles as the Jamaat Islami political party and movement of the Indian subcontinent. I think it would be fair to say that UKM is their sort of their charitable arm of the Jamaat Islami, similar to that the Ikhwan Muslimin have Islamic relief. That was their sort of charitable arm. What do you say? I would say that initially, I think so. I mean, the people who set it up were definitely, you know, from the Jamaat. Uh, sorry, from because the Jamaat Islami. UKM predominantly all the literature is. Uh, yeah. Anything no. exclusively. Yeah, and so it was. The Quran, it was easily widely available. I remember. Yeah, generation. I mean, and you know, they were the first. I would say also who got into the print media, English print media. You know, yes. obviously, you know, there'd been Urdu books around, but you know, I could I could speak Urdu, but reading Urdu isn't great, and. Um, I could read a book, but it's not fluent. You know, I, I'm well, often, we're, much I often, we're much better right now. Anyway. Yeah, we are much better right now. But I mean, I only learned up to second Jamaat, which is the equivalent of year two. Yeah. So think about a six year old. Yeah. That's basically where my level was at. But I'm self-taught, so I'm a bitch myself. Yeah. And that's because I study Arabic. It helped me, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah, so, actually, so, yes, see, I found Arabic it the way around. I found it that my Urdu has helped my uh, Arabic. Actually, um, but yeah, I can understand how the Arabic would help you Urdu as well. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. You know, there's a lot of vocabulary that's the same. Very similar, very similar. Because especially my background, obviously Punjabi. So, so although we speak Urdu, not not a problem. But there's certain obviously words and expressions that are exclusively Punjabi. Mm -hmm. Whereas Urdu speakers generally they they use pure sort of more Urdu which are more relatable to Arabic. So I can understand why you had the Urdu to. Uh, uh, Arabic and me from Arabic to Urdu. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so I, I started then getting uh, interested and I used to read, but there was a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a modernist bent, if you want to call it that way, because 
Um, that's, that's, that's what the literature uh, I had was. My dad still, uh, he used to, he was a big believer in Sufism. He had a Sufi sheikh back in India who would give him uh, wazifas, that is, you know, ritual litanies that he uh, uh, had to do. Uh, but, hmm? Uh, so, as far as I understand, it was a Qadri Tariqa. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of but one of the Qadri Tariqas that was there anyway. Um, I think the Molana was in Jabalpur in North India. Uh, and but but then you know when I started looking into it, you know my grandfather apparently was in the same thing as well. Um, we've got part of our family are actually uh they look after the uh shrine of Hazrat Saiful Mulk of um of Hedra in um Maharashtra. There I've got family who are Mujawars, that is people who look after the shrine. I've got mm. family that are descended from uh Hazrat Lala uh, Mashak uh, Ansari in Aland in Karnataka. So you know uh, you can see that there was a lot of Sufism going around basically right but i was getting a little bit kind of more m- modernist i suppose uh in my theory in my ideas right yes and then i went to uni of and then i went to uni and it was a massive culture shock for me i grew up in a white town you know where there mm. weren't many muslims um yes we used to go to warsaw to do salah and juma and stuff like that but you know we the area we lived was very white and now suddenly I'm in Birmingham, lots of Muslims. <laughs> Birmingham Sharif. Birmingham Sharif, man. Uh, well, I'm not sure how Sharif it is. Well, I've, you know, I've heard it called the Medina of the West. <laughs> well, have you heard of the Salafi Fatwa as well? If you to do Hijra. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, better I know all that. Yeah, mate. I was there. I was there. I bought the T-shirt. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and so anyway, things changed a lot when I was at university. Um. So, you know, when I got into university, I found that there was a real difficulty separating religion and culture, I found. Some things were cultural, some things were religious. And he was trying to find out which bits are which. And in that time, I came across uh, a lot of people who were Salafi, which is probably one of the more puritanical uh, sects of Islam, you could call it, like the Puritans or the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Um, they're often called the Wahhabis as a pejorative term by others, which is, isn't really fair, to be fair. Uh, it's predominant in Saudi Arabia, so there's a lot of um, Saudi-file um, stuff there. And the thing I liked about it initially was the fact that it was evidence-based so I was doing so I was studying medicine at the time and we had this concept of evidence-based medicine of why do you do such a thing? Why do you give this antibiotic for this infection? Well, because there's been a trial and the trial has shown that this antibiotic works well at this dosage while this one doesn't work well. So there's an objective standard, right? And it seemed to me that the Salafi call was basically evidence-based. Look, this is what the Qur'an says, and this is what the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, the Hadith, says. And therefore, this is what the, the ruling should be. And the rest of it is just faff and crust and tradition and folk religion, which has kind of come on, you know, over the centuries. And, you know, if you go to India, honestly speaking, you can see it. You can see it. You yes. know, you can see yes. the kind yes. of... 
the kind of folk religion aspect of it, the general illiteracy of the it's, people. The... It's, a sh- it's, a, it's a shame because it does give uh, a bad name to sort of the this, the science of the soul, which is... Yeah, no, it, de- it, it definitely does. It definitely does. And initially I thought to myself, well, maybe it's just a case of the people are wrong and the ideas are all right. But then after a while, you start thinking to yourself, well, actually, maybe the ideas are wrong as well. Because what part of the ideas did you find wrong? So again, it so again it comes down to the evidence-based nature of it, right? So for example, you know, um, uh, you know, you would hear, you would read stuff in the Quran, you know, you would read stuff in that hadith, in books, whatever that will talk about how you should seek help from Allah, seek help from, uh, you know, rely upon Him, have a tawakkul upon Him, and yet, what you would see. And I'm talking this in a very kind of, as Jordan Peterson would call it, a low-resolution image. So I'm not talking about highly nuanced, specific fiki arguments. I'm just talking about the bare bones for a standard person. You know, he sees it. there a sort of a distinction between what the fifty things involved among certain students and what the soul is exactly in its nature itself? So, So initially, I had that. And that's what I was thinking. That's the way I was going. I was thinking to myself that it must be a case of that people are doing wrong things, but the actual basis of it must be okay. But then when I started researching Sufism as well, it seemed to me to be... Now, again, it could be just the type of Sufism I was researching. I don't know. But at the time, it just seemed to be... Well, I don't understand what this has to do with what the Quran says and what the Hadith say. I just I couldn't see uh, the connection at the time. At the time, anyway, yeah. I've been talking about my journey, and yet we've got we've called you here to talk about yours. So whilst I was going right and right towards the Puritans, uh, what were you doing? Well, I describe my journey a bit more sort of it, it, it came full circle, if anything. So my family generally they came from the Punjab, from the Indian subcontinent of Punjab. As we migrated from India to Pakistan after partition as well, and generally that region is predominantly Bareilly sort of inclined. In fact, my great grandparents, even in the Indian side of Punjab, were called when the called Tariq Tariqa. Okay. Now, of course, they obviously they moved to Baghdad and Sharif. I call it Baghdad and Sharif because that's with the well-known saint uh, Sheikh Fariduddin Kanjishakar, mm-hmm. also known as Baba Fariduddin, is buried mm-hmm. in Baghdad and Sharif. So, my family was generally by default just following the practice as everybody else would. They didn't necessarily wear the religion in the sleeves either. Like you mentioned, it's religion that not with a capital R in that sense. They didn't actively go out study and they didn't think in those sort of deeper lens of Islam and spirituality as such. They just when it came to Eid, Jum'ah and you know, after any sort of funerals they would do these certain Customs such as doing a khattam, which is a gathering of reciting Quran for Isa al-Thawab every 40 days. On the orders of the sheikh, they would, you know, make a specific kind of food and give it to the poor for Isa al-Thawab for the sheikh as well. So these are the kind of practices they default they had while they were living there. But what happened when they came to England was after they settled completely, the local masjid was actually the Ubundi masjid. And so after frequenting that masjid a lot more, their sort of their actions in terms of their deen and religion changed with it as well. They actually started to question it with their own selves. So that was my family. But me myself, I was I grew up in those both phases where I saw them do these sort of rituals and then they sort of 
moved out a bit after going to the open demons shit. And for me, I would always hear stories of these great Sufis and these great sort of wellies of the subconscious as well. So that was part and parcel of my life anyway. And I had a good, astute reading of history as well. I knew the effect these people had and how intrinsic they were part of the history of the subconscious as well. So that always stayed within me as well. It just, even later on in life, when I even became a Salafi myself for six months, in my heart, I still had this sort of attraction to the Sufis. But in that point in my life, even then, I was just trying to figure out Islam itself and how it's studied and how it's propagated what these things, institutions are. I didn't have much of an understanding myself. And in those days, I mean, this 2006, I would say, you know, you had figures like Dr. Zakir Naik, who were really like rock stars at the point. They even had their own TV channels. Mm-hmm. They had they, they had a lot of books as well. Because even before then, the books we had, they were very limited. And they weren't very attractive to us either as well. Now, I know you shouldn't read a book by its cover, but those books really were not something you want to pick up as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember the books that from the from the nineties were mainly, as yeah. I said, kind of uh, UKIM, so very um, political based. You know, ide- ideological. Uh, what one of our friends would probably call Islamism. I'm not entirely sure yes. I, I agree with that phrase, but anyway, um, you know, so very much of kind of Islam as a political ideology, not really, actually in depth. You know, there's a lot of discussion about, well, you know, Islam is the solution, Islam is the way forward, etc. But there wasn't much about the matter of what exactly Islam is, if you know yeah. what I mean. So what exactly are the beliefs, the aqidah, as we would call it, what exactly is the jurisprudence, you know, uh, yeah. the fiqh. Yeah. And I suppose after that, after the book kind of, uh, the first kinds of English books that came, the internet then exploded at the turn of the century. And in there the the salafis they were at the forefront they were there at the front you know they were making they the, were. yeah they were making the websites the they were making the talks that you could listen to online the forums the audio forums pal talk if anybody remembers pal talk oh my lord um what a cesspit of humanity it's like a precursor <laughs> of what twitter was like an audio twitter um and um so you know you had a lot of you had a lot of information but it all had a particular flavor and so even if you weren't necessarily uh that way inclined that's kind of what you were exposed to and i can kind of see what you mean when you talk about the diobandi so for for those of our listeners who don't know you know you think we're all talking gobbledygook so um the diobandi is another uh, major sunni denomination in the indian subcontinent probably the second one after the bareilly one that i mentioned earlier and the the difference with them that you might see is that they're a lot more uh conservative uh they're a lot more um I wouldn't say puritanical or anything like that. I wouldn't go that far. You can say, you can say they were best of both worlds. So I mean, you see, I've I've often done this um kind of chart for people to kind of understand different Islamic sects, right? And the way that I kind of look at it is, if you assume that the Hanifi Brelvis are like the Eastern Orthodox, they're like the Eastern Orthodox right. Church, right? right? Um, and if you say that the Salafis are like the Puritan, you know, Protestant Puritans. 
you know, really kind of iconoclastic, yeah, iconoclastic, you know, very, very conservative, but also theologically conservative. They only believe they're correct. Nobody else is correct, whatever. Right. I would put that the Diobandis are Anglicans. Yeah, yeah they, uh, you'd find with Diobandis, they want to be Sufi, they want to be Sufi, and they want to be sort of... Like a very kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well. they're, 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 they're very middle of the road. Um, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll take from both sides, as it were, in the same way that, you know, um, for people who, you know, uh, I mean, you know, there, there is such a thing as Anglo Catholics, for example. You know, the Anglicans yeah. kind of are very similar to, and there's even a division amongst uh, the Roman Catholic Church. One of good, people one who good came... thing about the Deobundis in that point, I would say, is they're very organized and they really did establish exactly, a lot of that's what I was centers, going to say. which, in my, when I was. Around 16, 17, when I was actually actively looking for answers and trying to search. At that point, I just wanted to know. It's Later on, I actually wanted to study properly. I remember I used to... It's generally the deal, but these are helped a lot because there's so much material. They translated so much as well. Exactly. I mean, and this is what I was going to get to. This is what I was going to get to, that in the same way that the books initially had been Jamaat Islami, and then yeah. everybody else started catching up. And as the, that the internet was basically Salafi, and then everybody else started catching up. So the grassroots work, the actual people the that Obandis you would find, so was the Diobandis. It was the Tabibi Jamaat. It was, you know, those were the people who were actively going out. And when, it came, proselytizing. when it came to Madhab, sorry to interrupt you, I remember the first book I read about why we should follow Madhab was a, it was like a Risala, a small book written by Mufti W. Usmani, Hafizahullah, which was translated to English, and mm. that was very popular in those. That was actually the first book I read into why we should actually follow Madhab. So, and they had a lot of these similar sort of uh, thick books as well, like Dali Munhaq is a very well known yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanafi book, so that's the one that we grew up with actually as well. Yeah. So they actually did uh, a lot of people, I, I give them credit, they gave so much, they did a lot of grass work, like you said as well, they laid the foundations. Yeah, and you know, uh, the one thing about them that, you know, like them or load them, you know, they're very good at producing uh, scholars, they're very yes. uh, good at uh, producing imams, they're very good at producing people who are memor uh, who have memorized the Quran, who are known as Hafizis. Yes. Yes. So, you know, they're very good at, you know, the actual... So this is the kind of the meat, if you know what I mean. You know, that if if the intellectual spheres have been taken up by the some of the other sects, the actual uh, people on the ground, as it were, were... You know, these are uh, uh, predominantly Tablighi Jamaat, you know, uh, Dibandi yes. type... Uh, uh, people and um, yeah, so I can I I can see why um, your family, for example, would be very much uh, affected by that because that's who the people yeah. were who were around, um, and they were the they people. Were, who... They were, and for me myself personally, because for me I was the type that I would sit anywhere just to find the answers first, so I could figure it out for myself. So in fact, there was a lot of even for the Bareilly side, to give them credit, a lot of. Local sort of who are now Imam Khatibs in, in Birmingham that went to Sherm, Syria to study as well, and they came back and they came back and taught a lot of good fiqh works, Shamail Hadith, and uh, from Syria as well, which is very inspiring as well. So they did slowly start to catch up as well. I mean, the Salafis are always strong in any work they did, they're very well organized, so I'll give their credit in as well. But yeah, the Dilmandis stood out for most because they had curriculums for, as well, you know, so I learned my fiqh, aqidah, tahawiyah with them as well, you know, everything actually was laid out for me to study the Hanifi fiqh in a deal flavoring, but the thing was, 
which we'll get into at one point, I find that very constricting in my own way. It got to a point where I was thinking going to Darulum Nadut al-Ulama in India or Karachi in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Or, or thank God, I don't say it in a bad way, but South Africa as well. Because mm-hmm. that was actually in my mind at one point as well. Because it, it was presented to me that way as well. But, you know, I wasn't the kind of person to just, you know, just follow. I wanted to think for myself through and see where my journey was at that point as well. And I started to see other few uh, scholars around as well in the Western world. I would say the person that really came, put me towards more of a uh, middle sort of stand, you can say, was the likes of Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad, Timothy Winter, and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. From them, I learned traditional Yeah, style. so Sheikh Sh- 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 Hamza Yusuf is someone that I have, um, I have a complex relationship with him. Um, in that, uh, I initially, I remember him pre two thousand and one, and he was a different character pre two thousand and one. Um, Some people say those are the good yeah, things. Yeah, and, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just yeah. mean that in, I think people, a lot of people had to grow up very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't be this kind of polemical, you know, um, oh, my God, America's the devil type of uh, thing, because we now had substantial Muslim minorities living in the West who were a lot of them were converts. A lot of them had been melded in, been there for 30, 40, 50 years. You were getting generations of people, first, second, third generations of people who have been born there and weren't necessarily um you know having I mean, born in their countries of origin and so i think he had to um i don't say change but he had to kind of uh, adapt a little bit and i said grow up um because you know i remember his talks from the late 90s and they were very much fire and brimstone there wasn't much different really in style there was obviously in substance but there wasn't yeah. much difference in style between that and say um, some of the Salafi ones, to be completely honest, or you know, Emadidat uh, or Zakir Naik or whatever. You know, the style was very similar. Then, as I said, after two thousand and one, after nine eleven, um, he there had to be a bit of adaptation done. I think that pushed a lot of people the wrong way. They they saw it as inverted commas selling out I, mean, I still want to know what selling out actually means it's a phrase that is it's a phrase that's banded about almost just like it's it's like yeah if you haven't got a coherent uh a coherent critique of what people think you just accuse them of selling out you know the, the, that yeah thing... i think it, i think people just they have, i think you need to go to the roots of what he was actually doing because i think politically that people have their differences with him which Fine, it's understandable, but in terms of preaching Islamic scholarship, really inspired me to actually properly. properly yeah, learn. I, 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 I didn't think I didn't think I could study Arabic or read Arabic books. I actually studied. I thought this was special people, but Sheikh Hamza actually gave us. He gave us the sort of motivation and the hope that you could actually do it as well. In fact, I learned the uh, Hadith of Jibril first from Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, which is what the Dean is uh, as the Hadith goes as well. And I never actually heard these things before. So so for me, I then, you know, I didn't really, I, I was part of the people that, you know, probably, you know, didn't give him his due at the time, you know, uh, I, you know and then I, I only really rediscovered him later, much later, and then really kind of went, bloody hell, man, this guy knows his stuff. 
yeah? yeah. And not only does he know his stuff, you know, he set up the Zaytuna Institute. He set up, a, you know, a proper university. And then you got to understand that the American university system is very different to the UK one, right? It, they're all private universities. There's a large amount of biblical colleges and seminaries, you know, hundreds of them, you know, where you where these pastors and evangelicals or Catholics or all different types of Christianity, yeah. you know, they have these, you know, um, these they have these seminaries and colleges and universities. And so for him to then bring Zaytuna, which is basically the same thing, but a Muslim one, you know, yeah. it's it's yeah. not a Daululum style like we have in no, this country, not. which is um, the ones we've got in this country are very much just molded on the Indo-Pak kind of style. This was this so is a very is, American it's a product for its area which is America where they have proper seminaries, university lecture halls, sites, but they they're teaching t traditional schools. Yeah. I just just a disclaimer, we're not paid by Zaytuna to promote oh, yeah, no, 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 our, our love yeah. for Sheikh and yeah, the yeah. teachers and Zaytuna itself. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because no, I, I always tell people I think it was Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was pivotal in my journey journey without a doubt. Yeah, no, I mean, as I said, he had, he definitely came up a number of times in my journey at different times and at different points. And, um, but we'll get to that. Uh, we'll, get to we'll, 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 we'll get to that in a second. So anyway, um, so, okay, so now, you know, you've got interested into religion. You're kind of Diobandi-ish influenced. I was, I was a mixture of everything. I yeah. was... Uh... So, yeah, so, 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 how did, so how did you end up being a Maliki? <sighs> wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a brilliant question. That's a very brilliant question. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure there wasn't just like one moment when you, you woke know, up in the morning and went, it, 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 it wasn't a one moment sort yeah. of thing. It actually took me a few years yeah. to become a Maliki. It wasn't easy in the, in the sense that I, I really did want to think about this properly just to show that I'm not doing this out of my own sort of random desire or, you know, it's the thing to do right now. Because some people actually insinuate that, you know, when you listen to these traditional Western shiukhwa or Malikis, you'd automatically become a Maliki. It wasn't like that. I was a Hanafi. I was fine. I just wanted to pray and learn. So I was studying the Hanafi madhab. But I would study other madhabs at the same time as well while I was studying the Hanafi madhab. As well, so like while studying all the usul shashi, I was going to get to as well. You know, I would just, unless my own personal study, I would do look at the other madhabs. And so when looking at the Maliki madhab, I just this is one thing I never when I first read about the Amr al-Ahmad Medina, because that was a really new concept for me, because we don't have something like the Hanafi madhab, and even the Hanafi madhab you were studying was very Indo-Pak orientated as well. That was the flavor, and so it's just Knowing what the Amul Ahmad Medina is and what Ima, and how important that is in the mother of Imam Malik, I was very, I, I, it just really attracted me to the mother quite a bit as well. And even so, the uh, sort of the, the the figures you have in the Maliki mother as well, which I knew of beforehand. So can you just explain, I mean, using a lot of technical terms, which yeah. are maybe many yeah. of our listeners don't maybe not exactly um, uh, get. So... Um, so you, you, so you were studying the Hanafi school. I was right? in the yeah. Hanafi school. Uh, yeah, yeah, so the mother meaning school. And then school. Uh, after that, you, uh, when you came across some of the other schools, the, the interesting thing about 
the Malik school was this emphasis on the people of Medina. Am I right? So Amal of Medina, the meaning the That's practice of the people of Medina, which is obviously the city of the Prophet Muhammad. Yes, that's perfectly right. This exactly how you described it. That's uh, it's just the action, the practice of the people of the city of Medina itself. That is, it's actually a part of their sort of methodology in uh, in making forming rule, judgments and rulings, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting because I was, you know, I was very used to of hearing things of more textual and scriptural based in terms of rulings as well as you know, analogical reasoning and uh, juristic dis- uh, decisions and things like that. But a practice following a practice from a city, which is not actually scripturally based, I found this really peculiar at the time. But as, as a Moise, I read into it as well, and I asked uh, f- uh, fellow teachers about this concept as well. I was really enamored by it as well. So then I started reading the biographies of Imam Malik and the well-known Maliki scholars. I was aware of quite a few Maliki scholars because... In my interest, you uh, the listeners to know that a lot of the uh, well-known Sufis of the North African, uh, uh, in terms of Morocco, even Egypt, were Malikis. So Ibn Atayilah was a very well-known Maliki, and we had got taught the Hekum of Ibn Atayilah from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because that's exactly the same thing with me in that so for me, what happened was, uh, you know, I was uh, very much in with this kind of very iconoclastic, puritanical, you know, everybody's wrong. Let's go back to the sources type of uh, version of Islam, you know, the Salafi way. I mean, I know I'm kind of, um, I am kind of uh, generalizing a lot, but I mean, that's kind of the viewpoint that I had. And then as time goes on, uh I also had to grow up and I also started to realize that, you know, the world is a little bit more complicated than that. You can't just, uh, you know, uh, be on this kind of thing. And then from a personal perspective, what happened was that I actually moved away from Birmingham, uh, not out of my own choice. I got a job at the other end of the country. Um, And so I was kind of outside of the main uh, Salafi center, you could say, in the UK at the time. I know they've have, they've got centres all around the country, but Birmingham. I mean, the joke was that Birmingham was the Medina of the mm-hmm. West, you know, and that, that people should do emigrate to Birmingham, which I mean is just well, people made good good money out of that. I'll tell you right now, some people made good rental money out of that. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, and um, so because so because there was a bit of kind of physical distance, there was also a bit of a bit of mental distance, and I was able to kind of look at things a little bit more dispassionately from you know in a more bird's eye uh, view and one of those things was so one of the one of the real attractions of being a salafi is the word salaf comes from the first three generations of muslims who we call the salaf the first so that's the generation of the companions of the prophet and then the two generations after him and there was a lot of well we want to go back and act like them we want to be like you know the brand new muslim community and here in the Maliki school, you had that formalized in the practice of the people of Medina. Because That's right. when the school was being formed, these, this, these were the generations that were there yeah. in the city of the Prophet Muhammad himself. And so you're kind of, it's almost like, well, if you really want to be a Salafi in that you really want to follow those first generations you kind of have to be a Maliki because they're the only people that really take their views into account. 
because the other schools, um, you know, they may have some weighting to what those generations said, but it wasn't a separate, distinct proof for things in the same way that it was in the uh, in the in the in the Maliki um, school, and so again that that thing about you know it was just so compelling and it's interesting because i've talked about on this podcast before i've i have i often have existential crises and i often wonder about my place in the uk and my place in my family and where am i from where am i going which tribe do i belong to um and i've, I've mentioned that in previous episodes and no doubt it will come up again in further episodes as well if I really wanted, if that was my real motivation, then I wouldn't switch. Or if I did yeah. switch, I would switch to something which has a mass following. You know, if I wanted to be yeah. uh, the same as everybody else, there's lots of different sects and schools of thought and mosques I can go to. But whilst the, the Maliki school is very common in North Africa, in West Africa, and actually amongst uh, convert Muslims... It's not that common. In fact, it's basically non-existent amongst people of an Indo-Pak background. Um, you know, um, there's there's literally handful of books in Urdu, for example. You don't find any real, apart from probably our Sheikh. Actually, I can't think of anybody else who's a Maliki scholar and uh, the the other Mufti of Birmingham as well. Yeah, the, the only, you know, the only, um, you know, they're the only people that are from an Indo-Pak background who are avowedly Maliki. So yeah, no, so, you're yes, right. It's very few. For the Indo-Pak, definitely. Yeah. So, so, but, but, but I just every time I think to myself that I just I can't get away from that concept of well, I'm following what the first generations did, and in a sense. Mm-hmm. You could argue that it's just a natural conclusion of being a Salafi is that you end up there because that's, as I said, they're the only school that actually formalize it into a particular aspect of the religion. But I have, I have a question in this regard. So, because the Hanafis are very predominant in this country and you yourself are from the Indo Pak origins, as I am. Wouldn't, wouldn't, just to play devil's advocate, wouldn't, wouldn't that entice you more itself because it's more closer to, so, it's more easily accessible and culturally wise. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's a lot of great sort of Hanafi Indian scholarship as well. This is pre sort of 19th century, so pre Deoband and sort of the, the Brelwi, the, the Brelwi, the Brelwi, the Brelwi, the Brelwi, the Brelwi, the Brelwi, the great Hadith scholar and the Jewish, uh, uh, how would you say properly? Yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. I know what you're trying to get at. Yeah, um, yeah so he's a, he's a great, he was a great figure for everybody. Yeah, in the so, um, as well as others. let me answer that in a couple of ways. All right. Uh, it might be a bit of a long answer, so I apologize from the start. So there's, um, there's an Urdu saying which basically translates as to that once a tree is taken out from its roots from a particular ground, it can't, uh, set there again right and there is so you have to understand that a lot of the Salafi call was in opposition to other people 
It wasn't just a positive da'wah of this is what we believe. It's look at these people, they're wrong. Right? And so each of the different sects, whether it's the Hanifi Brelvis, Hanifi Diobandis, the Jamaat Islamis, the, uh, the Sufis in general, the Shia, the Ibadis, whatever you want, we all had reasons as to why they were wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. And once you have seen some things, you can't unsee them. Right? And one of the problems of the Hanafi school, I mean, there's the, okay, not problems is a bad word. One of the, some of the issues of the Hanafi school, especially in the Indian subcontinent, put me off. So one, for example, is for all that they say that they're scripturally based, they're not actually that scripturally based. I mean, you know, you just have to look into history. Traditionally, the Hanafis were not scripturally yeah, yeah, based. They, 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 they were people of... Uh, yeah, there were, there were people of rationality opinion. and people rationality, of opinion, yeah. right? So therefore, they had often diff- uh, opinions which were a bit, uh, which were different from the mainstream. And when, remember, when you're a Salafi, you've seen the hadith that says certain things. So, for example, if we're going to talk about the timing of the Asr prayer, for example, you've literally seen the hadith, right, which says yeah. that this is the time for Asr. And then, oh no, the Hanafi say, we say it's an hour later, right? Yeah. Or yeah. you've literally read something which says, uh, about the fast and then the honey you think is something different right because they and you're just like well i can't i can't unsee these things that i've seen i can't unsee them right I, I saw the hadith i saw the views right i can't just throw them out now and go for something else okay so that's point number one point number two uh is that the the the, the honey school in indo pak is very rigid it is, you must follow us and you must follow us in every single way. And even if we're wrong, you follow us. I can right? Yeah, um, because you're Hanafi and you can't even look at opinions from a different madhab. Yeah, forget about looking at opinions directly from the sources. Right. You, ha- you, are, you have to stay within the parameters of the, our version of the Hanafi madhab. Right, so could it be the Hanafis of Turkey, for example, or Central Asia, or I mean, the Hanafis. Are, I, I would love to meet Hanafis of Turkey in Central Asia. I really would. Right, I've met one or two, um, mm. uh, a bit late in the day, to be honest. You know, one of my friends is a student of Sheikh Abtabek from uh, Shakurov, um, of uh, mm. you know, who's yeah. a famous uh, uh, Hanafi scholar in the UK. He's from originally from uh, Uzbekistan. So I do know some of the ideas that they have and how it's different from the Hanafi Madhab in the, in the Indian subcontinent. But, so there's things that I just can't unsee or undo. Or for example, another example is uh, one of the masjids that I go to is a Dubandi masjid, mainly Gujarati, mainly Indian, right? And they are very rigid on no women in the masjid. They are very rigid yeah. on that, right? Now, I have seen the hadith of, you know, don't forbid the women coming to the masjid, right? I have seen, I have read the stories of the uh, the companions of the Prophet and the female ones leaving the salah after fajr and going home, yeah? I've read it all, yeah? I can't now take an opinion, which I, I understand the sociopolitical reasoning behind when that opinion was given. That, you know, that opinion was given 100 years ago yeah. at a time where banditry and things yeah. like that were much more common. Yeah. And yes, in rural India in the 1800s, yeah, you probably didn't want your women going out at, mid, at night. There's no electricity, mm. yeah, yeah. To, to go to the mosque because it's not safe. And I understand that. But then, to, but to be rigid on it, and even now in 2022, in 
the West, in the UK, it's still, we're not allowing Muslims into the, uh, we're not allowing Muslim women to the masjid. I just can't, I can't, as I said, I can't unsee these things, right? Yeah. And so, and this is ironically one of the things that by becoming Maliki, I haven't actually changed all that much in what I yeah. actually do. Yes, my viewpoint has changed. My understanding has changed. The way that I look at different uh, uh, problems and different um uh, you know, oh, the, yeah, the, the, the scholars that I would go to or the books that I would read, all of that has changed, no doubt, right? But the practicalities of what... So, for example, give, making the intention for prayer, it was always in the heart because that's what I always yeah. used to do as a Salafi. So, that's what the Maliki position is, right? Yeah. Even the prayer, I know that there's uh, there's difference of opinion on, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the way the prayer is done, but you could pray like a Salafi and still be a Maliki. It would still yeah. work, right? Yeah. They the also the uh, that also the Maliki mother has no problem looking taking a ruling from another mother if there is a benefit to it, you know. I think the, I think that point of taking other mother opinions is generally accepted by all mother It's just that except the Indo Pak Hanafis, they won't take it. We didn't get told this. It was like yeah, we know this fact. We just won't tell you. No, but it's not even just that. I mean, I, again, stuff you can't unsee. Like for example, yeah. when a famous scholar said that you know the the proof is there that the prophet played prayed only eight uh, of uh, Tarawih in his house, but because we're Hanafi, we pray twenty. You know, right. I mean, there are lots of different arguments as to why you should pray twenty, right? right. But the but this is a very bad argumentation because yeah. the argumentation basically is saying that yeah, we know the other person's right. But for our own tribal reasons, we're not going to change, right? And and so that's why that that was my problem, as it were, of uh, of going to that. So therefore, um, now I did think about well, why not be again do something a bit more mainstream, something a bit more organized. Say, for example, uh, the uh, for example, say the Shafi mother, for example, again very similar to in practice as to what Salafis do is very similar. The rulings are very, very similar. They're very hadith Yeah, the the Saudis, you know, they don't say it, but really they're from the Humbly school. Really, that's what they really are. It's only a few of them that are these complete um, right. iconoclasts, you know, like Sheikh Albani and some of the Indo Pak mm-hmm. earlier. These guys, but generally speaking, they so they've got a tradition as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, it just. And then there was another aspect which I must get to, which is really important actually, which is that the the aqidah, the creed of the Salafis is very. So the famous Mufti of Birmingham called it like uh, the special needs version of the of the creed. Yeah. Now that was a really that was a really cruel and nasty way of putting it, but you know what? He was right because it is so so. It's so literal. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a fluent Arab speaker yet. I'm barely a fluent Arab reader. But even I understand that Arab is a very metaphorical language. Yeah. 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 When you when you when you say something's in front of you, you say "bayna yadek." Yeah. Yeah. Which literally yeah. means within your hands. But that's not what within it means. It means hands. in front of you. Yeah. So why would it be that when God says that He has a hand, or God says that something happened beneath my eyes, why is it that that has to be taken literally? Yeah, I, I, I remember I used to, I, I had these thoughts as well. I just find it too ridiculous to comprehend, like, uh, especially when you, you would get told, okay, so 
know, God sits on the throne. We don't imagine it. But by saying that to me, I'm automatically in a yeah, picture. Yeah, 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 exactly, that exactly. In my mind, I, 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 I initially I did, I saw these problems firsthand when I would get exposed to it as well, which was why I didn't stay long as a celebrity as well, because I just find it too, not to be rude, but I find it too, quite, quite ridiculous at this point of theology I did. Yeah. So as well I, as, as yeah. I think when I first got exposed to that as a teenager, it was easier for me to swallow. Because yeah. what, I mean, I was just a kid. What did I know? Yeah. As I grew up, I was like, oh, "Come on, it can't be. It, 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 it can't yeah. be this. It, you know, it's got to be a little bit more, right?" And yeah. one of the things as I grew, as I grew in my Islamic journey was understanding that you know uh, there are multiple viewpoints on how to interpret these, and you don't have to take things literally. And yes, there's an issue with taking being too rational. And you know, taking everything metaphorically, um, but that the the what you have, um, especially with the Malikis, but also with some of the uh, Aqidah groups like the Asharis, is that they have a very kind of middle of the road way of looking at things. You know, the Ashari, the Ashari school is generally known as the middle of yeah, the and, road. Yeah, and and as opposed to the Matafidis, they still do a lot more speculation. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I'm going to reference Hamza Yusuf here again that you know in the late. Uh, 2000s, you know, when I was start when I started thinking and started looking at other stuff, I came across a quote of his which said, "If the Salafis think you're Sufi and the Sufis think you're Salafi, you're probably on the right path." Yeah, I love that. And I, I thought to that. myself, yeah. you know, so number one, I thought that's a fantastic quote. They, and number two, that is true because because that I mean, really shows I mean, you yeah, in I the used middle. To hear that a lot from dear friends because when I used to so sit, uh, you know I used to sit with them sometimes for certain classes and they knew I used to see Sheikh Hamza a lot and they would say yeah Sheikh Hamza's good remember this quote he said if you're <laughs> either of the or then you're in the middle then you're fine exactly and and, I, and I think that this kind of um, you know the, 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 this this is really the real radical middle way do you know what I mean a middle way which is uh ha- is not doesn't go to extremes of being too literalist or textual at the same time uh isn't too rationalist and too modernist right it has a traditional basis where you could just call it traditional Sunnah because Sunnah, as in sunni islam has always been this way yeah i mean that okay in totality well, yes especially if you read the history of the scholars as well in totality, in totality, yes, right? But I think that, yeah, again, you have to take into account that the Indian subcontinent provides over 50% of the world's Muslims, right? right? There's about 500, 600 million Muslims in the Indian subcontinent, you know, right. 200 million each in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka, right. out of a population of about a billion, right? So what right. that means is that the views of that area are disproportionately um, uh, disproportionately represented. And so whilst historically speaking, you're very true that this middle way was the, the majority view of scholarship, it's not now necessarily the majority view of the people on the ground. No, unfortunately not. I think that's a lot of social economics reason and the uh, British Raj after the mutiny of 1857 because itself is a reformist movement they, yeah. they openly say that yeah, the yeah. opposition to the British interesting inter- interesting note right so the so people talk about ultra-orthodox Jews right, right. the ultra-orthodox Jews are a reformist movement do you know that 
Yeah. Yes. So right. there used to be rabbinic right. Judaism. Then yeah, at the right, time, yes. in the 1800s, yeah. there was a time of the Enlightenment, and so the Reformed Jews came, yeah. which basically said yeah. that the Torah has to be taken uh, figuratively, not literally, in yeah. the way that yeah. you know, yeah. the, in the way that secularists and Christians are doing. And in response to them, the rabbis set up basically these Haredim and Hasidim in Eastern right. Europe, especially yeah. the poorer areas where the people were just, yeah. you know, they weren't Enlightenment in people in French, in France or Germany, but they were poor farmers or uh, butchers, whatever, in Ukraine and Poland and whatever. And, you know, these are the people that became the ultra-Orthodox uh, brotherhoods that you have now. And yeah. I see yeah. a parallel with the Obundis there, very yeah. much so. Yeah. You know, and... Again, you know, um, rabbinical Judaism is very diverse. It has a lot of different viewpoints. It has a general, mediatory, uh, moderate, medium kind of, uh, uh, kind of a strand. But the ultra orthodox aren't like that. They're much more, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. You know, people talk about Muslims being backward. Yeah, I've been to Jewish shops. Yeah, where they say that women have to come at a different time to men. I've seen. I, yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. I've been to places uh, where the rabbis will say that smartphones are not permissible uh, because yeah. of the things that can happen. Women, men and women shouldn't study together. All of this sounds yeah. vaguely familiar to you. It sounds very familiar yeah. to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, um, so uh, you're right. Halasuna is uh, medium. It is moderate. It is the radical middle way, as Hamza Yusuf would call it. Mm. Name dropping him again. But the but the people who are the loudest and most preponderant are people who aren't necessarily in the middle. You've got people. Yeah. You've got people either like the the Salafis and the Saudis who are very puritanical, or you've got the uh, you've got the the Ubanis and Brelvis uh, who are very tribal. You must be us, so you can't be anything else. You yeah, know. that's right. That's you know. right. Um, and so that, the that, would, that, that did cause me some discomfort when I would actually study in the Ummadiya circles because I didn't find it quite tribal. I didn't find Ahlul Sunnah, sort of the traditional Islam, being represented properly through them. And one thing that helped me as well is that reading Urdu, as, as it got better, I actually went directly to the, you know, the scholars of the, of the, of the, of the, of the uh, seminaries. Mm-hmm. I read it directly. Their text. So I saw what they said and how contradictory it could get at times as well. But I don't think I should go there. But I will. It'd be an interesting thing, to, a discussion I would have with some of them sometimes, especially with like Maulid, like the prophet's yeah. birthday. I mean, there's actually that's, really, that's an interesting point that you make. Up the other thing that is very, uh, very common amongst Sunni scholarship over the ages has been an open-mindedness. Has been yeah. a. Uh, a you know a, a a kind of aspect of research looking at things you know yeah. um, and I'll give the Salafis their due they were like this as well you know when a new masala came up a new issue came up they would look at it with fresh eyes from the beginning you know whilst you would find so so for example uh, photography is a good example uh, videos yeah. is a good example you know I grew in, up the Salaf- a- in the Salafis defense the issue of photography is across mother thing. In terms of, I've heard a lot of scholars in Syria, they were very anti-photography as well. It's no, not even disappointing as no, well. But, but my, my point about it is, my point about it is that they, whether, whatever their final ruling is, the point is that they at least looked at the issue again. Yeah. Right? Whilst 
if you look at the Indian subcontinent, it was like the fatwa was given 100 years ago and this is what the fatwa said and that's it, we're not changing now, right? We are not changing our opinions from 19, from 1857, 1867, What they believed, we believe now, right? And and, to, and I'll be honest with you, it's not just the Obandis, the Brilwis are exactly the same. It's it's true yeah. across the board. It's just a different set of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Well, they're, they're, they're related. Yeah. I, and I, and I, I, I know how people make differences amongst them, but from sitting in both circles, I see I see a lot of similarities when they want well, to I mean, well, well, I mean, it's just a few petty points, and I really do mean petty points. Yeah. So, 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 when we were Salafis, what we used to say was there were basically two sides of the same coin. Yeah, this yeah. is basically what we said. We the things that we would castigate the Ubandis for were exactly the same thing that castigate Brilvis for. We'd castigate them for shirk, for bidat, for uh, you know uh, dodgy akidas, right? Uh, for uh, doing taklid, you know the same things that we would have a go at the Brilvis for. We'd have a go at the Ubandis for same thing. So could you explain this? Differentiation between the Ahlul Hadith sort of movement in India and sort of the Salafi Saudi movement as okay. well. So, so I mean, I think that uh, uh, there is a very good talk done by Yasir Qadi at a uh, one of the uh, American institutes where he talks about the history of the Salafi movement, right. and he uh, he explains it brilliantly about how there are different strands which come under this. Uh, umbrella, right? This kind of umbrella of going back to the past, right? You have a kind of a political side, which is the Ikhwan al-Muslimun, right? Um, you had a uh, a Wahhabi side, you know, the specific thing from the Saudi Arabia of Muhammad Abdul Wahhab and his movement. And you also had this movement of the uh, Ahlul Hadith in um, uh, what you call in uh, Indo-Pak. Right. I saw that was very Sufi orientated. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, um, you know. Which I interesting. Every group, every group has its inconvenient truths, doesn't it? <laughs> every group does. I mean, you know, that well, that's just humanity in general. It, it just shows you the influence of the Sufis of India as well. I mean, yeah. the other movements were of the Jishit uh, Tariqa. Yeah, it's I mean, like, I, I mean, you know, they, I mean, they, they come out and they try and deny all of that now. But I mean, it's yeah, you're right. It is just they, they make it so strong. I remember when I used to read the, when you read these sort of the biographical uh, works of these, the scholars. It's so it's yeah. It's I, so mean, I mean, they used to refer to even Arabi as Sheikh Al Akbar. Yeah, yeah, which you know. Other Sunnis have just generally have a little, you know, some at least have a little bit of hesitancy saying. Yeah, but I mean, but so there are different, and they each have a different history. Yeah, so the Aliyadis have a different history. The Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia have a different history. The Ikhwan al Muslimun have a different history, right? Um, etc. etc. Right? They have so uh, they're they're broadly under a kind of Salafi umbrella. Right, but there's big differences. There's differences, for example, between uh, Sheikh Al Albani, rahimullah, and uh, the ulama of Saudi Arabia. In fact, he was kicked out of Saudi Arabia. He was kicked out of Saudi Arabia. He was actually yeah. kicked out of Saudi Arabia, which is something that a lot of Salafis don't want to mention. But be- because he was so strict with the Hadith, and he came up with rulings which were different to what the Saudi uh, uh, scholars had uh, uh, come up with. Um, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of Hadith he's actually uh, authenticated, which he, by own, his own personal opinion, wouldn't uh, profess or tell people about things like Hayat al Nabi, like the 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 the, uh, the the living nature of yeah, Prophet, yeah. Islam. 
Mm, interesting. Um, anyway, I think you know we, we've been rabbiting on for almost an hour now. Uh, so I should, uh, I suppose, we should uh, 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 bring this uh, to a close. So when did you actually start? So once you've made this decision now of being a Maliki, right? How long? Okay, I know it wasn't one thing like that you said, yeah. But once you had, um, you know, come to the conclusion that I want to follow the Maliki way, the way of Medina, right? How did you take that forward? What did you do next? In fact, I, before I, I was actually studying the Madhub of Imam Malik as well in terms of the uh, the the, uh, the book of Fiqh as well. Like, uh, there's a well-known uh, start to beginners book you have which is called the Ashmawiyya and Akhdari. So I actually studied them both beforehand and I was in the Hanafi. Right, so I initially did study school of Imam Malik before. Uh, as a Hanafi, anyway, I actually studied the beginner's book of the bundles of praying and purifying yourself as a Maliki. I actually read and studied that beforehand. It's just after a long time of studying further and doing my research, I just thought, I'm ready now. So I even still, still remember the day when I thought, I I don't need to even pray as a Hanafi anymore. I know enough about the Madhab now. I've studied it enough. I accept it full wholeheartedly now. So I just had it. Literally, I dropped my hands as we would do as a Maliki and accepted the madhab. Okay, so for me, I mine was a mine was also a slow process, but I think probably longer than yours. Um, I think it was around 2011, 2012 time that I started making, uh, you know, actively looking into. Well, first, because you see, I had a couple of hoops I had to jump through in my head first. So you know, first I had to jettison some of the Salafi Aqidah, not all of it, but you know, some of it, right? Um, I also had to accept that there was no problem in following a school, right? You know, whether it be Hanafi, Shafi. Right, so you had a longer period yeah, yeah. to accept so, yeah, so, 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 school so, of theology so, so, and following a school, whereas I was already, yeah. <laughs> before I studied a school of theology and a school of law in jurisprudence, whereas you had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, and I mean, it's interesting because. Again, a lot of the Saudi Salafis were actually kind of going that direction as well. If you actually looked at some of the um, institutes, like the Maghrib Institute, the, uh, the uh, Gauthar uh, Institute, uh, the people like Muhammad Sharif, Abu Isa Nehmatullah, Yasir Qadi, um, uh, Wajid Malik, who was the Imam of the Masjid uh, up north where I used to be. Um, you know, a lot of these people were... You know, they did. Yes, they'd studied in Saudi Arabia. Yes, they were Salafi orientated, but they understood that there was such a thing as a school and you had to learn from a school. Um, and so, you know, they would start teaching books and those books would be Hanbali books or Shafi books, for example. Right. And then on top of that, a lot of them actually had actual teachers at Madina University who were Mauritanian, who were oh. by default, uh, uh, by default Maliki. Um oh. Couple of the Shank- yeah, a couple of the Shankitis that I remember. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so what, you know, I, so there were, so I was kind of on that train anyway, right? Because everybody else, was, you know, was as well, right? Because everybody was growing up in a sense, right? Yeah. But uh, again, yeah, there were a couple of more hoops that I had to jump through, right? So I had to jump through, obviously, the, uh, the Aqidah one, the following a school one, you know, those things as well, right? 
Now, I was living in the Northeast, right? And so, and you know, I did think about going back to the Hanifi school, but as I said, the things I can't unsee, I can't, you know, uh, so I actually, my first thing that I actually started to do was I thought, well, let me actually research the Shafi mother because that seems to be, it's more similar. yeah, it's more similar to what I'm doing. It's got a similar kind of outlook to the way that I do things. And, you know, there, there are more resources online and things for that. But uh, the Ammal of Ahlul Madinah kept sticking. I just couldn't get that out of my system, as it were. And it's interesting, actually, that Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he actually wrote a lot about the Ammal of Ahlul Madinah. And he was there's, actually book, there's actually a book you can get as well. It's a translator as well by Aisha Beauty, which yeah. is a very good book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I, I think I've got that book. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I did actually think to myself, well, actually, can I go back to being a, a Salafi in with an S, with a small S, as it were, because yeah. a lot of the stuff they're teaching is the same. But the Akita things then started coming up a little bit because I was, you know, the kind of the, the weird ideas, the weird things that they had. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, I'll keep and then. Uh, you know, Mufti Abu Layth is a personal friend of mine. He's been a guest on the podcast before. Um, obviously, he's Maliki. He's famous, infamous, whatever words you want to use. Whatever you say about the man, good or bad, he has knowledge and he's studied. And he he's very, knows, very, very smart. Yeah. He's a nice guy. He's uh, yeah. a very, he's nice very smart. He's a very nice guy. Um, very nice man. Um, he's, got, he's got a lot of unfair press. Um, yes. You know, um, yes, he's done some stupid things in the past, but hey, who hasn't? We all have. Um, yeah. And... So I had some, uh, I was getting some exposure. And I remember he actually started doing some lessons uh, on the Risala. And so I started doing a little bit of that. Um, And then when I came to, but then you see, God intervened. God intervened. And um, I, when I first came, when when I moved back down to the Midlands, I was very keen to make local, you know, get back with my local connections, my friends that I used to know, um, people that were, you know, friends of the family and things like that. And then there was one specific one that I wanted to meet up with. And I met up with him. I remember it was when the Beast of the East was happening. You know, the big uh, snowstorm. That was 2018. And um, he said... uh, Oh, uh, so we, we met up, we uh, went for dinner or whatever. And then he said, I'm going to be meeting some other friend of mine, a friend I haven't seen since I went to college. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, he goes, do you want to come along? And I went, Actually, you know what, go on, why not? Right? So I right. went along and uh, this was a good friend of ours, Hafiz Wakas. Okay. Yeah. And I met him there. And, and like, you know, the, the brother that I hadn't seen him for like 15 years, I'd obviously never met the guy. I started speaking to him and he said about how uh, he was a Maliki and I went, oh, well, I got Mufti Abu Layth. And they were like, oh, no, we're a bit not like that. We we study with the uh, um, Sidi Iqbal of uh, Hansworth. And, I, I, and I've heard the name many times. I'd heard of him and I thought, you know what? Uh, I would like to be interested. Actually, actually, I would like to go off and learn this properly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get me involved. That's when I got onto a telegram group with you and That's a couple right, of other yeah. people. Yeah. That's um, and um, I came and uh, started attending lessons with the Sheikh. 
and uh, my life changed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things finally settled after that. There is, yeah. So, so when you studied the uh, sort of uh, the, more, the more beginner stages of books, there's another book which we call The Guiding Helper. Yeah, the Moon, yeah. So when, as you see, it's it's actually sectioned in a very nice way, which is one of the things I really like with the method of the way the, the books are structured yeah. as well and how there's not a big curriculum. It's very, very simple. But going back to Murshid Mu'in by uh, Sidi Abu Wahid ibn Ashid, there's a chapter on the Sawwuf. Now, somebody coming from a, your background, okay, fine, you can accept the Ashari school, fine, you'll 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 get you'll face that, that's fine. Then there's a the Maliki method, fine, you can accept that. But then there's the whole aspect of Sufism, so, and so, 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 whatever you want to name it. Yeah. How so, did you find that? So the other thing, the other hoop that I'd had to jump through was the idea and this had this had again been something this is one of the uh fallacies of um and misrepresentations of the salafi movement which is that they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater with trying to get rid of some of the un-islamic customs and things which have been you know folk religion aspects which have come in to spirituality which is what the soul is is spirituality right um They've thrown, they've thrown everything out, and there's nothing left. You know, there was what there was such an emphasis on having the correct aqidah and having the correct points, but there was nothing about spiritual growth. There was nothing about becoming a better person, about good. I mean, and there were people talk about, yeah, you should do good deeds, you should do tahajjud, you should do your sunnahs after salah, you should give charity, you should um, uh, fast three days in the month, and all this kind of stuff, but. Really, very few people did that. Very few, right? The people I would see who were doing that, to be completely honest, were, were the bleeds, to be honest. They were the only people who were actually doing it, if I really want to be honest. You know, the actual stuff. And so I, I had understood that spirituality as a discipline, as a concept, must exist. It is Ihsan in the, the famous uh, uh, saying of Jibreel, as they say, you know, the saying of the Prophet Muhammad when the angel Gabriel came to him and asked him, what is Islam? You know, what is the religion? What is Iman? What is faith? And what is Ihsan? As in, what is the perfection of faith? That is spirituality, right? And uh, yes, you know, it, it's become, uh, again, I'm going to quote Hamza Yusuf, it's, it's an Islamic science, right? It is. It a, is. Yeah. Now, P, uh, going... Ironically, I was actually going back to an understanding I'd had when I was a teenager that the idea isn't wrong, what people do is wrong, right? right. And so therefore, when, I'm, when we were going through that book, and in fact, it was even before that bit, because as you know, the Sheikh is a member of a Sufi Tariqa, right? And, you know, I, I had lots of conversations with him about it, right? Um, this was like, it was actual spirituality was actually it was like this is a program a way of getting closer to god right um and i'm not saying i'm i'm i'm, I'm not affiliated to a tariqa i'm not uh i haven't given bayah or allegiance to any particular group or anything like that as you know i'm still searching looking around reading whatever um but the concept in my mind that there is such a thing as a spiritual path and that in the same way that it's a discipline for you to learn the sciences of the Quran and the sciences of jurisprudence and the sciences of law and the sciences of uh, schools of law and evidence and all this kind of stuff, there's also a science of spirituality, right? And that, you know, once you 
Uh, and when once you understand that, then the rest of the stuff is just you know it just makes sense. I mean, the, the stuff in Murshid al Muin is very basic when it comes to the the spirituality part. It's basically a case it's, of it's the foundational work. It's what you need. Be considered and yeah, the I mean, I, I, Sufism. I, that's what it is. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a bit flippant, yeah. But there's, there's, um, there's a quote, um, which uh, somebody said that you know, uh, what does it mean uh, to be you know spiritual? And it's basically, don't be an idiot. Yeah. So sorry, actually, no, he was more flowery. Actually, he was more flowery than that. He said, don't be a tosser. Yeah, because basically. If you're good to people, if you treat people well, if you have good character, if you don't lie, you don't cheat, yeah? These are the things that bring you closer to God. These are the things that give your heart rest. These are the things that give you a degree of contentment, right? Well, and, interesting you said that. There's a uh, really good quote by a well-known Sufi from Delhi, actually, which I just recently read, started reading the biography. Uh, his name is Sheikh Nizamuddin. Oh, yeah, Sheikh Nizamuddin. And, and so this is an interesting quote, which he actually said. What he said was that leading to God as uh, like particles of sand, none is more effective and efficacious for attaining gnosis than bringing happiness to the human heart. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, I started finding the ones I'd made... I mean, I, you know, once I'd made that kind of conceptual leap in my mind, yeah, I found that I could feel more. So I went to Umrah in the year 2000. I went you know, to, uh, to Mecca and Medina. I went on the pilgrimage to Hajj in 2005. But the most emotional that I got was when I went to, for, for the... Uh, the Umrah, the minor pilgrimage in 2014. And I remember for the first time, even though it was not the first, uh, sorry, first time I'd been there, I'd been there a couple of times, but I remember seeing the Kaaba starting to well up, right? I remember going to Medina and seeing the grave of the Prophet Muhammad and starting to well up and, you know, feel emotional. And I hadn't the previous times. I'd been there, you know, but it, and I remember specifically when I was at the Hajj that it felt very... I remember feeling empty and I remember feeling bad about feeling empty. Wow. Yeah. And now that I look back on it, it's because there was this whole aspect of spirituality, which I just wasn't looking at. And, you know, again, to give Salafi scholars their credit when you actually go into some of the stuff that they they actually do and they actually say it's a lot closer to ideas of the soul than you would think right you know um yeah i mean you know um I've, uh, you know you uh, you hear of people having all sorts of personal practices you know reading such such and such amount of quran reading such and such amount yeah. of uh the adhkar and all this kind of, you know, remembrance, etc. Um, but if it, but because it's not formalized, right, in a particular yeah. way, you know, you don't have it because you've thrown the idea of the teacher, the sheikh, the murshid, out of the window. There's nothing. There's nobody there to kind of keep you on that straight and narrow. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, and you know uh, the devil loves a lazy man because a lazy man does nothing. That's right. Do you know what I mean? Um, cool. Well, thank you very much for giving me your time today. 
Muhammad, it's been uh, illuminating, uh, it's been spiritual, it's been transformative, uh, it's been full of gobbledygook, I do apologise for a lot of the terminology, um, um, I, I hope I've done my best to try and explain it, if not, do send me messages on the Twitters, on the Instagrams, on the Spotify's and the Facebooks and I will uh, answer, um, so yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Mohammed, and uh, thank you very much for uh, talking to me. Hi there, everyone. This is just a bit of a postscript or an epilogue, whatever you would like to say, regarding the uh, talk that I had with our good friend Mohammed. So. First things first, I apologise, there was quite a lot of terminology there. A little bit of a kind of explainer. Islam is a particular truth, the truth in one God, and the truth of the Prophet Muhammad being his messenger, who has brought with us the Book of God, the Quran, which is the actual words of God has spoken to the Prophet Muhammad. Since the passing of the Prophet Muhammad, Muslims, that is people who believe in Islam, have tried to understand the words and deeds that were conveyed in the Quran and in the life of the Prophet Muhammad. This has inevitably led to a degree of difference of opinion and like in all human endeavours, sects, schools of thought, etc. form. The schools can be roughly divided into, sorry, the sects can be roughly divided into two. These are the Sunnis and the Shias. Within these, there are different types. They all broadly believe the same things, but the expression of that belief is slightly different. So amongst the Shias you have the 12 Shias of Iran who believe in a certain set of divinely appointed leaders. Um, there are also the Zaydis of Yemen, etc. etc. Amongst the Sunnis there are a couple of different groups, some of which we've mentioned, the Hanafis, the Malikis, the Salafis, the Jamaat Islamis, the Bereluis, the Diobandis, etc. etc. The point of this uh, discussion was really how, whilst both of us believe in Islam and believe in its truth, how both of us came from place A and ended up at place B through different routes. Place A being the Islam that we gained from our parents and was taught to us in our homes to B the understanding of the Maliki school of law which is uh, firmly embedded in the city and practice of the Prophet Muhammad Medina but is something which is predominant in North Africa and West Africa rather than the Indian subcontinent to which we belong. 
if anybody has any questions queries uh, on this then please do contact me up my twitter at at a typical dr so at a typical doctor i couldn't get a typical anesthetist unfortunately or on my instagram at a typical anesthetist and i'll explain a bit further on peace